Hi there, you're listening to the Sim Investing Podcast where we discuss everything finance or business related. Sim stands for Simplified Integrity Meaning Prudence. Find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Sim Investing. Before we begin, uh, I'd just like to put out a disclaimer. Information and content discussed does not constitute financial advice and serves for educational or entertainment purposes only. Yeah. Hey everyone, today we have another very special guest on the pod. He's a co-founder of... Uh... Uh, Heaven Lux and also has helped many e-commerce business scale to uh, multiple seven digits. So Sinon, thank you so much for your time and could you please let everyone know how do you get to where you are today? Hey, thanks once again Jonathan and uh, Branson for having me on this podcast. So I think my name is uh, once again Zenon. Uh, maybe just a quick introduction of myself. Uh, I think people around me generally know me as the co-founder of uh, uh, online baiting brand that has uh, kind of like, uh, I would say, taken the internet by storm. But whereas in Singapore-wise, uh, most people know about this brand. Uh, so it's a fully uh, DTC e-commerce brand that we took from $0 to about uh, cross, you know, we crossed seven figures in sales in just a short span of nine months. Uh, and this just done like locally in Singapore, not like international worldwide or stuff like that. So uh, we kind of sold the business away already after like, you know, nine months because we have like uh, investors coming knocking to our door. Uh, you know, saying that it can be buy of our business, and you know, after the discussion, me and my partner decided that you know, let's, let's sell the business because we were offered like a good seven figure profit to cash out a full business. Yeah, and so that was the, it was a short journey in the sense that we, you know, we kind of sold, we built and sold the business in just a, what in within a year, and what most people may think that you know it's like oh, you know impressive and stuff like that, but. Uh, you know, as someone that you know, after we sold with the brand, I believe in building more brands. And you know, ever since I've been a journey of, uh, you know, friends coming to me who are uh, DTC e-com founders themselves, brand owners, uh, not dropshippers, they come to me and ask whether you know, hey, can you like teach me what you did for Heaven Lux, and then just kind of replicate to my model. So ever since I've been helping out a lot, instead of helping friends, then uh, people in the industry, uh, because you know Singapore is kind of small, so everyone kind of know each other. Then that's what I've been doing for you know uh, after after I sold my business last year I think August then for like uh, almost a year yeah so just been doing consulting and helping them to grow their e-commerce store yeah so for a lot of these e-commerce stores right, I'm just curious like uh, are they mainly like uh, products right that serve a need pain uh, solve a pain point or do they like uh, is it more like a one kind of product? Like for example, like uh, early on we, we interviewed a guest they sell like dog collars. Although it's an essential need, but it's still like uh, some of them could be like a designer kind of thing. So is it most of the stores you help to scale? Is it um, need based versus uh, one based? Uh, I'll say the stores that are generally doing better in terms of um, you know like bigger growth and stuff like that. Uh, generally they all definitely are start off with uh, neat products uh, or rather what I call pin solving products uh, you know like can be products as simple and boring you know a lot of drop shipping uh, is you know just boring products like mattresses uh, home living products uh, you know baby products mom products or it could be food related products it's not like a you know exotic product as a lot of people will always think you need an exotic product to you know do well on the DC brand uh, but also I, had, I do have clients that I serve that they, you know this they do the most ridiculous uh, unpredictable products like for example bubble tea soft toys um uh you know zao chai mao and stuff like that uh and then these products actually do hit six figure months so i i was a little bit like wow you yeah. know products like that do work as well so i think uh dtc brand has uh evolved to a stage where you know nowadays people are 
you know, they're kind of buying novelty products online as well. It's not just like uh, pain focus product. But of course, pain focus focus products are always the ones that are you know they will not go wrong. It's always evergreen and it's always scaling to the to the to the moon in that sense. Yeah. So all of these are like the the stuff like the bubble tea soft toy. It's all, I mean the the need the need solving product, right? It's uh, I would think it will be a lot more stable in terms of like their their growth yeah. and stuff like that. But for this kind of bubble tea soft toy, for example, uh, uh, that is it. Do you feel that it's uh cyclical in nature? Like once you like, for example, you run, you scale it up once, and then after a while, right, the thing starts to like uh slowly dwindle off and die off. Definitely more seasonal. Definitely a bit more seasonal in the sense that it's, uh, there's a cap to where it can grow as much compared to all these products. Uh, I mean, compared to pain-solving products or need-solving products. As we know that, you know, it can just scale worldwide. But I cannot imagine, like, if, let's say, uh, you know, let's say a Zhao Cai Mao would do well in Singapore, but if you were to bring it to another country, it may not be the same. Yeah, so there's that kind of like cap there. But I, th- I think these car products are down to passion more in a sense from the founder itself. Yeah. Yep. So uh, circling back to your journey, right? So when you founded uh, Heaven, Heaven Lux. Oh, yeah. What was the question? Uh? Before Sorry. Heaven Lux, right? Can you explain what you were doing before? Did you run an agency or so a bit? <laughs> like, how do you even get to the internet marketing in the first place? Like, I just want to know that part. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I think... Uh... I think we have okay. How I how I got to okay. So before uh Heaven Lux, I kind of do dropshipping so for like maybe two years and stuff like that. And um, uh, for the dropshipping journey, let me just uh to to cut it to the chase. Uh, you know, I I did had success uh earning a bit of money from dropshipping back then. But as we know, you know, like uh after that there was this period where dropshipping just kind of died overnight because it was so rely on trend based uh winning products uh which is something that I kind of like. I used to think that is the way to go, but I kind of hate it. I hate the model now because it's so unsustainable in that sense. Uh, and I come from a background of marketing, so uh, about seven years of marketing background before I kind of started e-commerce. So uh, before that, I was in the service-based business, uh, helping like you know like retailers, uh, just just typical businesses to grow their sales and clients. Uh, I was also in the seminar space, so like promoting causes and stuff like that. So just a bit of uh, kind of have a, some prior marketing knowledge before you know uh, embarking on this uh, e-commerce journey itself. So, uh, from the experience alone, I was able to uh, you know uh, understand how many different industries work because as a marketing agency, you kind of serve clients from different niches. So you have to understand their language, uh, how the audience behaves and stuff like that, and uh, what kind of like you know what 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 works for one niche may not work for another niche, stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, I think that addresses the question. <laughs> Understood. Yeah. Okay, so uh, for that side, right, the dropshipping side, right, when did you stop or like realize that this is not sustainable anymore, and you transitioned? Uh, to so I think while I was doing dropshipping, um, you know, I mean, I mean, this is something that I think a lot of dropshippers can relate. You know, you're always struggling with all the Facebook ads because it's almost like your whole business relies on Facebook ads, or you know, whatever platform that was relevant at that time. But, uh, you know, on the contrary, I always observed that there were certain DTC e-commerce brands, um, you know, that were also selling products online. You know, you kind of like think like, oh, you're just selling product online. It's the same model, right? You know, you're just finding a good product, you're promoting it, and it should work the same. But actually, I realized that, uh, you know, I was, uh, when I look at certain products, right? Like, example, uh, back down here in Singapore, we have brands like Secret Lab, Prism Plus. We look at their products, they are so boring. 
and then you look at dropshipping where you always have to chase other fancy products and then you start to question yourself why these companies can grow to a billion dollar company whereas whatever we are doing like dropshipping it's just so hard so struggling and we have to spend so much effort to run facebook as to sell the product and then the worst thing after you make some money from product you die off and then you have to find a product to replace and you know you can you kind of have to do this whole product research uh, method which i kind of don't enjoy and i kind of lost passion for it after a while because i realized that it's it's very tiring to do so and yeah it kind of burns a lot of money if you do not know what you're doing yeah so i kind of got more like fascinated with this whole um, DTC world instead where you pre create products a good quality one and they kind of just have one products stores like all these brands that I mentioned earlier to kind of just like scale up and you know you, you kind of just keep selling the same product again and again but it's only ever growing and it's evergreen best part yeah so that, that kind of fascinated me and kind of got me to be more interested in this whole DTC space after like the dropshipping journey yeah. okay so uh, when was this is this 2018 2019 uh, I think I start to got more interested in this whole DTC event. To be honest, it's not too long ago. It's quite recent. Mm. It's about 2020, around that period. Yeah. I think okay. uh, during how... that period... Mm, sorry. Yeah, you say first. You say first. No, I just want to ask how you get into uh, bed sheets. But oh, I think it's I a bit... The bed sheets. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I get that question a lot. Like People ask why, why, why bed sheets. <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, back then when uh, I decided to say that, you know what, how about... I tried to create my own product because I kind of like convinced myself that building product was the way to go. Even though it's kind of like more harder, like in the sense that, oh, now you have to do logistics, you have to do your own fulfillment and stuff, like, which is what attracted dropshippers in the first place, right? Because you don't have to do all this stuff. So now I kind of like, oh, shit, I have to do all this stuff to learn. Uh, and at the point that we don't know what product to sell, I just kind of feel that, uh, yeah, because, you know, it's, I realize it's very different from dropshipping where you don't use certain tools and they look at a competitor store, you kind of like get some winning products and you try to scale it. Uh, I think for myself, uh, why I did Bishi was that because I personally, personally, in terms of passion-wise, I believe in sleep. So I do spend a lot of money on Bishis. So to me, I was thinking, hey, why not? Like, you know, Bishis sounds like something it can go. Uh, at that point, I didn't have like strict product criteria. So I kind of think like, oh, you know, Bishi is like mass market product. And I kind of see like some online brands doing it well from the US specifically. And then yep. I saw like, uh, you know, in retailers, people buying bishits a lot. So I thought like, oh, maybe I could save some money, you know, sleeping on my own bishits, try to invent something better than, yeah. you know, me and I try to sell it. And it's something that I understand, the product I understand, not compared to like, uh, I think it's very important that DTC brand go to a product that you understand as well. Yeah, so that was where I made the decision mm. to say, okay, let's give bishits a try, even though I don't know what I was okay. doing. Yeah. Understood. Your, your partner, right, is he also marketing focused? Uh yes, my partner is uh he runs an SEO agency and he is uh he kind of serves clients internationally like in terms of SEO backlinks. So he does have prior knowledge in terms of Google uh, SEO uh PR marketing and stuff. So it did help uh in the business as well in terms of the you know as a comprehensive banger. Yeah. Okay. So uh the first time you launched Heaven Lux, right? Did you uh buy stock? How did you get the first few customers? Is it purely through ads? Uh, let me think. Uh. Okay, so yes, I did uh, spend a bit of uh, money in terms of a stock. I think I spent about 20,000. Uh, not, not a lot, not like a lot of money. I just buy like a small mm. MOQ kind of goods. Uh, uh, definitely could have got it cheaper if I reflect back then because back then I don't know what I'm doing. They know how to negotiate supply. I kind of just, uh, okay, you know, let's just go ahead. <laughs> now, now that I think yeah. back, la, but I mean, it's fine. You know, we made mistakes along the way. Um, 
how we got our first few sales was that I think I started off by selling to uh okay so for me back then I when I started because I come from dropshipping background right and then you kind of like try to you have this whole dropshipping mindset of trying to do a DTC brand like you know uh, running ads and stuff but I think I wasn't very confident back then in terms of like uh because it go against the beliefs of a dropshipper in the sense that you know I understand I, I myself think that oh shit which is just not very fancy but how do I market online how do I run a nice video about it and stuff like compared to like you know a cool winning product that we see on dropshipping uh so I think I just started selling friends got that for feedback asked how was the bishi and stuff like that uh to be honest the very first batch of bishi were kind of crappy in the sense in the quality sense so uh yeah uh, it was a journey of like uh you know uh, struggling and like oh shit, yeah. should I give up should I not give up and stuff like that so I've, I received mixed review like people who encourage me people who say that okay it could be better and stuff like that so uh, after that I think me and my partner decided to say okay why not we hire uh, I think we start off with getting sales because we go and hire agency to kind of run our ads because we were not confident to run our own ads and then yeah. uh, fast forward thinking back now we actually kind of hire three agencies agency after agency to run our ads we pay that up to like four thousand a month, so we were hiring like kind of like the top agencies, uh, two in Singapore and one in the US. Uh, some did some things right, some most of them did things that were not, you know, give, giving you the ROI that you kind of expected. So I think after three agency, uh, we almost wanted to give up because we felt that yes, we were paying so much money, and then like or even the top agency couldn't do it. Then I say that okay, you know what? How about you do our last straw? Uh, then I decided to say okay, you know, like just man up and say, go and run your own <laughs> Yeah, so after running my own ads, uh, using the principles I had previously, and of course with a lot of experimentation, uh, we managed to break through to a uh, very healthy ROAS after that and allow us to scale up. Yeah, so yeah, that was the journey. La. It was kind of like a fast and furious journey because it was a short span of time, but uh, it was also quite emotional, right, in that sense. Yeah. Understood. How did you, because you said the first batch of uh, product quality is... Uh, Sasa <laughs> is not consistent. So how did you fix that? Like um yeah. Uh I think it's just as simple for me back then was that just to acknowledge that the product did have flaws and then just talking to the supplier and you know constantly getting new samples to say, okay, can we uh improve on this, improve on that, uh for our next batch. Uh then you know, just just asking them okay, what are some suggestions and then they give some suggestions and we say, Okay, let's give it a try, then we just get some samples. Yeah, so it's just a simple process of like this R and D. Yeah, just getting samples. And then we manage to get better sample, then we say, Okay, this batch we want this quality. Yeah. Okay. So what what was the issue with the first batch? Was it uh pillowcase rough? Like what what were the complaints of the uh, I think I think the main problem from? I mean I mean of course it's a big shit problem, like not not relevant for other products. Um yeah, is that you know uh uh, because we, we use a material called tensor. So most okay, so so maybe just a bit of a context. So uh most base sheets that people stay on ninety nine percent are they stay on this base sheet, uh, what we call cotton material base sheet, which is what ninety nine percent of people sleep on. So tensor base sheet is something that's been around before we were around, of course. Just that it's kind of like under uh under marketed, under commercialized. That only like uh, people who are really into base sheet they'll know about like tensor material. And of course it's more expensive, it's way better in quality, it's way more smoother cooling, stuff like that. Then about the only downside of tensor is that it's more, uh, it's more, uh, it's, it's, it's not as durable as cotton. 
in a sense that 很容易起嘛。呃、uh, ，it's very easy to 呃、uh, we call it 起嘛。It's okay, can speak Chinese. Don't worry. Okay, sure. <laughs> like 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 there there's like uh shedding and stuff like that. So 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 that itself uh is a visible kind of like uh thing that people can see when they stay on the fishy. So it's something that cotton fishy people usually don't face, but in tensor fishy、mm. they will face. But of course, you also understand the benefit and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, of course, customers always complain they are always right and stuff like that. Yeah. So that was the main issue we were struggling with. Uh, but we managed to、uh, along the way understand the product better, understand competitors' product better, then we kind of like improve along the way. Yeah. Okay. Cause I I on the website it says uh tensor is from like Austria, right? Is is it really manufactured in Austria or is it like they? Take materials, for example, go China, then fact, uh, factory, then ship over. How does that supply yeah, chain? Yeah, so、work? in terms of production, all all great things are made from China, like even your LV Gucci, right? We all know that. So, uh,、mm. nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, but it's just that the material that we are using, uh, it does indeed, uh, in terms of tensor itself, is a type of material that does come from Austria. It's just that we market it as Austria tensor instead of tensor bishi. Okay, got it. So, uh, start scaling the business. You run, you take over the ads from the ad agencies. Then you start scaling it. Um, how how did you scale? Like, what what was the market message that kind of resonated with the people? And can you yeah, tell us about that? Yeah. So, uh, one thing that uh, yeah, one thing that I think I was a breakthrough for myself personally was that uh, you know, in back in dropshipping, I tried to use those techniques to market. I realized it didn't work. Like, you know, very hypey kind of sales message. Like. Oh, eighty percent off coming back in now. Oh,、uh, you know, uh, then all the weird, weird emoji and stuff like that. And then I look at um, yeah, that really didn't work. Then I start to like, okay, why didn't work? So I start to look at uh those so-called like billion dollar brands and secret like prison plus the more boring product brands. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. I was also inspired this by this US brand called Snow. I think you might know of、uh, Snow T Vitamin by Josh Snow. So I look at their ads and then I look at the ads that's running. Then I was like, hmm, okay, what did they? Do that. I felt from consumer point of view did right, and then one thing I realized was that um you know it's very important in DCC products right to be very focused on, uh yes by the nature of the product it may be a one product like basic obviously it's a one product it's not a need product right it kind of like you need basic but you don't need expensive basic, uh it's a one product so I realized that even for one product itself it can sometimes it can be turned into pain solving. Products, for example,、mm. uh, you know, like what commercially we know is that retailers, uh, big big stores, they always marketing as like, oh, you know, high track cover sheets, uh, you know, it's it's very soft, it's very uh very durable, all the very feature based kind of marketing, and then uh, what it does work in on consumers, of course, but what could have been better in terms of the next level higher was that we position to be a beneficial product instead. So, for example. Uh, how the soft translate to better benefit in your life, right? So we position to comfort, alright, and comfort translates to better relationship with your partner because now you enjoy better time on bed. Uh, you get to watch Netflix and chill together better because uh, it's a more quality time together. So that itself translates way higher perceived value compared to just saying, oh, this fish is soft. Yeah. So, uh, I think I kind of like. Got this inspiration from Prison Plus as well. You know, they'll send TVs, very boring products, and obviously everyone knows、mm. that their TV are not the best, not the cheapest. We know that. <laughs>、uh, but why their marketing is so good is because they manage to translate even the most boring features into、uh, benefits. Like you know, with this smart TV, you can watch your Korean idol in HD Pixar.、Uh, with this TV, you can you can、uh, have a good time with your mom. Watching this TV, this kind of family, this kind of stuff like that. So I was like, wow, you know, like even boring products at TV can have so many creative <laughs> angles to it. So I start to like、uh, open up my mind and start to like say, okay, let's try certain creative angles. 
so we are trying like oh you know like cooling bed sheet can help you save aircon bills yeah so 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 and marketing angles like that that uh, translate to their daily life they are more relatable and it gives them a no-brainer uh mindset shift in terms of why this product can give you a better value than what you're paying for yeah i think that is a very uh key point for our breakthrough our roas went literally from like one point something two point something selling the angle we are selling previously feature base yep. to like seven and eight and in our google context 10 20 30 x easily on, mm. uh you know in just 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 with a simple uh shift in marketing message like that and of course with some proper retargeting mm. yeah okay yeah that, that makes a lot of sense but how does the uh because i would think i don't know about you but like if i'm dropping 300 dollars on uh uh bedding right it's not an everyday purchase yeah right it's a once in a x amount of years or whatever so like considering you are riding against you're not riding on a trend right and you are kind of like uh, creating demand from the campaigns itself is the cost of acquisition high or is it just purely you think marketing angle that is um, will change the business basically? To be honest, uh, when we first started, because we were kind of like the first few to do this in the market, there were some very small online bidding brands, uh, of course, that uh, usually emerge from retailers and stuff. Uh, yes, the CPU was definitely way high at the start. Why? Because uh, we know that if you were to try to uh, you try to give the market what they want naturally versus you try to educate the market why you should buy this product right? educating market of course would always result in you having to spend more money to convince someone and that does give us a high cpa like our cpa could be as high as like hundred dollar per purchase even though aov was like four hundred dollars yes it's a three four x ROAS, but uh, it was still considered high compared to what we have now yeah so yep. yeah but what we have now is like maybe half of that instead of like hundred dollars so it's like fifty dollars or like lower for retargeting campaigns like that yeah, so that 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 itself was a was a was a shock to us at the start because CPU was high, but yeah, we kind of work along the way, and then when the market got more educated, it becomes a norm and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay, I remember I talked to you last time with your partner as well. Uh, you guys ran Singapore and Malaysia, right? Yeah. Is there a reason why you don't want to tackle more countries? To be honest, uh, okay, so we started in Singapore, yes. Uh, but truthfully, thinking back now, if I have the choice, I'll definitely go to the states. You know, in terms of the market. Okay. Mm. Uh, but Singapore is such a good place to start because you can help with your stocks here. You can fulfill lo- lo- locally, which is really very low in cost. Whereas international is like more tricky. You have to play logistics. You have to repackage your whole product and stuff like that. So I think for us was that uh, we kind of like did target Singapore, and then targeting Malaysia was like the next natural. Uh, in terms of convenience and proximity, in terms of logistic costs. Yeah, so we, we yep. kind of have limited cash flow with, our, with this business, so we didn't uh, have the cash flow to just say, okay, let's order another big batch of goods immediately to do it for US and, you know, having to open another wing of logistics and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I also know that, like, uh, advertising to different countries, especially like Malaysia, right? Because the income thing, uh, a bit difficult, I would say, because you are selling $300 products. So if you're going mass market Facebook, for example, is that a challenge for cost of acquisition? Uh, or like, would you say, yeah? Yeah, definitely uh, it will be, uh, I mean, for Malaysia specifically, uh, it will be a challenge. Why? Because purchasing power is definitely way lower. It's like three times conversion rate. So mm. uh, for us, we, uh, but it did work for us in the sense that we target specifically KL country, uh, KL city. Yeah, so KL city, mm. uh, to my surprise, while well, we think that, you know, purchasing power, that could be like three times weaker in terms of currency exchange. But I realized that it was such a normal trend for people there because they are kind of like, 
kind of well, more well to do than what we think. And it's actually they're already in the habit of like spending like thousands of dollars on online DTC brands themselves, you know, even for other brands itself. So it's not like a surprise or like shock that they are kind of spending three, four hundred dollars on a bitch because it's yeah, they already have that behavior of spending already. I mean that's just for KL context okay. like, for Scholar Lumper. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, got it. So uh okay, scale the business. Um 2020 and then figure out acquisition side. Uh, what was like the next biggest challenge in terms of you got sales in, then fulfillment is another issue, right? So is there uh, can you give more advice on that side of things? Uh yeah, so I think of course if you're dealing with your own backend, right? Of course, one of the biggest issue we always face, other than logistic, uh, is that uh, you know you face customer service issues. Yeah, and I think customer service issue can be such a pain in the ass in the sense that uh. You know, like different customers have very weird requests. Kind of they can buy, then they they last minute want to change to this, change to that, and you kind of have to try your best to fit because you don't lose the sale, right? So for us, it was just very long. It was kind of a long journey in the sense we took really months to kind of turn all these FAQs and answers into a proper SOP, and then we kind of just keep refining the whole SOP until we satisfy every customer wherever they got a inquiry coming in or like a follow-up sequence mm. stuff like that yeah so it was just this whole very manual journey la, that uh i think i think it does take a quite 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 a long time to understand what your customer want and what how to satisfy them before they even have this concern on their mind yeah yeah got it so uh you guys sell to not just singapore and malaysia but also malaysia right so i'm just curious like do you guys uh try to implement some form of like localization strategy like in terms of maybe uh your website dif- presentation differences uh, your products offerings a little different customer service a little different do you guys implement those kind uh, of stuff to better like for us we didn't really do so because actually uh to be honest marketing in singapore and malaysia uh, is quite similar in the sense that it, you're still doing Asian faces and in terms of promos mm-hmm. and stuff like that, it's kind of like yeah relevant for both sides. So we didn't really kind of uh change so much. We did kind of like did a bit of like a Malaysia exclusive offers and a bit of languaging in their ads, like you know use more simple English. We use more uh, uh you know we use context or different. Aha, no, 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 no Malay bahasa lah, but just. Like delivered okay. to, uh, to uh, your own home so that it's like we let know that oh, okay, it's all the way to your doorstep, stuff like that. Just, mm. just some simple things like that. But if, of course, if you are marketing to Western countries, then you have to change the whole marketing angle and the whole languaging, yeah, drastically. So, uh, I have a friend who, uh, I think runs a sort of like e commerce brand also in Malaysia, but his channels right it's a little bit different so he sells a lot and he relies a lot on on uh, platforms such as like uh, Shopee and uh, Lazada so uh, would you like would you think that Heaven Lux as a brand would you want to sell it on that those platforms as well because I think previously right when he tried to sell it on his own like, on his own website and stuff his own channels like, it didn't work out as well but once he transitioned to Shopee and Lazada right, the thing just took off so do you think like uh, it's, it's really just a product kind of thing or the marketing approaches are To be are honest, wrong? I think Marketplace is really a very great place to start. Uh, in the sense that we didn't do it in Marketplace because we didn't know how to. 
and just because I, you know, we come from dropshipping background, so to us it's okay. Let's go ads directional marketplace like so, right? We will think that way. Uh, but what I do realize is that along the way, of course, at this stage, Heaven Lux right now, after it's been acquired, uh, I'm still consulting as an advisor, so I kind of know what's going on. Um, yeah, it it marketplace does bring in quite a decent amount of channel of sales organically. Uh, you know, and a way lower acquisition costs, and it does give you a lot of uh awareness traffic in a sense. Where you know, of course, uh, yeah, you know, they come to your site and then you target them, then they buy and are buying and stuff like that. So I realized that marketplace, uh, even not just for our own brand, uh, for a lot of other brands, uh, clients have served. Actually, they started from marketplace itself, and they were doing like really six figures with marketplaces. So definitely, from what I see, was that it was like a, quite a mental shift in the sense that, yeah, marketplace itself does, uh, it's possible to build it. To, Six figure months. I won't say seven figure lah because Singapore, uh, six figure months easily with just marketplace. Uh, with just marketplace itself, yeah. But the uh, I think the issue right. I I would think like I'm not a marketing guy, but once I build uh a, a very good brand on uh say Shopee as a marketplace, like getting out of the marketplace is it? Would it be an issue? Like people would associate your brand like as a Shopee kind of uh... thing. Uh, and then trying to build one brand outside of it might be a little uh, difficult. Based right? on, or based on, based you think it's still uh, very, very feasible? Uh, yes, marketplace does relies heavily on a lot of like, you know, those kind of like uh, promos, uh, seasonal, festive sale, and yeah. understanding the angle that it does cheapens your product. Uh, of course, this one is a very chicken egg thing. Lah. So it's like, example, if let's say on marketplace, you really discount, always discount 40 50%, then of course, it will have a more drastic effect compared to you always discount like 5%, 10%. So I do see a lot of like, uh, even luxury brands, right? Like top local uh, brands, let's just say brands like Charles and Keith and all that. They are doing well market, they are doing well marketplace, but they are kind of surviving there still. But uh, in terms of my own perspective, I like to see as like, uh, the kind of customers and audiences you see in marketplace, versus people who go to your store directly, DTC traffic from, you know, cold traffic sources. Uh, the quality of audience is actually very different. So I'll say that they are, both kind of like different audiences. In a way, I'm trying to mean it as a marketplace, you, all, you attract more commoners traffic, like all I call, or something can be cheaper audience traffic. Yeah, whereas DTC brand uh, itself, generally the purchasing power will be higher and they are more willing to spend, they are more educated and they, they want premium products more. Yeah. Mm. So moving on to the acquisition, right? I have a lot. Actually, how did the whole thing happen? Uh? Did someone just like randomly drop you an email saying, uh, I want to buy your brand or uh, <laughs> something yes, like that? Yes. Or how, how did the process actually work? Okay, so, uh, yes, we did have like uh, literally, uh, uh, actually, actually, we got acquired by Rocket Internet. Uh, so they kind of just email hmm. us then, uh, they kind of just say like, oh, uh, we'd be keen to, uh, we offer great buyouts for, uh, for DTC brands. And would you like to yep. consider selling your company? Yeah, so uh, for me back there was like, okay, I don't want to sell because too early. And then we were like doing very, very profitable yep. months. In fact, every our monthly sales itself could give us a good five-figure passive income at that point of time. So mm. I was like, oh, okay, uh, maybe a bit too early to sell. But my partner was really very keen to sell. So we kind of explored that in the end. And then we just had a meet up with them. Then, uh, of course, it was a kind of process of like in terms of due diligence. You have to require some documents, accounting, stuff like that. So we provided them. They give us evaluation, and then me and my partner, after considering, we realized that oh, okay, actually, what they're offering us is really a quite a good deal. So we decided to take it up, and uh, and from my perspective, was that you know, starting another brand itself wouldn't be hard 
because to me, uh, if you understand mechanically how, yep. why 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 the current brand works, they just kind of, kind of you know kind of like rinse and repeat, then in different contexts for different products. So yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't really. I felt like okay, you know, maybe I will just take a leap of faith and then decide to sell the business. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that was the story. Yep. Uh. Another point I'm very curious on, uh, I'm not sure if you can review, but uh, during the valuation process, right? You know, I, I know like a lot of uh, software-based companies, they look at like your annual recurring revenue, your monthly recurring revenue as a metric. But as a brand like Heaven Lux, actually what did they look at? Did they look at like uh, just a multiple on your revenue or uh, is it EBITDA type of stuff? Yeah. To be honest, they didn't review exactly how they value the business. Uh, but speaking to, mm. you know, their team and stuff like that, we kind of like... Mm. have a sense of direction of how they value your business so it was more of like a three to five years kind of range of monthly uh, net profits rather than uh, revenue mm. so i think different companies acquire companies differently and to be honest if at this point of time we were to sell it away we could sell it to better companies that kind of could give us a better buyout at least something we discovered later on so uh nothing to be nothing to be regretful about because it's really over but uh yeah, there are different com- there are com- uh, for for our case for well, they value of course based on net profit rather than uh, gross profit on net or like revenue and stuff like that. Yeah, they are of course with like other assets involved like uh, maybe your UGC assets, your creative assets, uh your your the pool of customer, your database and stuff like that. Yeah. Because the the brand is quite young still, right? It's like you said nine months or twelve months stuff like that. So you don't really have a trailing twelve months financial statement, right? So. When they go to you, are they just uh, putting a premium on like brand equity and brand value, basically, or like how does that uh, go about? So for us, they took our average six months sales as the net profit, yeah. Which in their normal mm. practice, they do usually don't do so. So, but I think because we are growing so fast and our sales look very mm. good on paper in terms of money growth, in terms of we are growing like 20 percent every month, like that kind of numbers mm. and. To any like person who is buying a business or like investor, it's a very uh, sexy thing to them. So I think to them, to to them, they made an exception for us, and we kind of just like, uh, I mean, just accept that it's it might be not valued in the best way possible because of the history and we are still young. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that you are still advising Heaven Luck, so. Actually, what kind of advisory work do you do? Like, they engage you for help in terms of, like, uh, marketing or uh, operations? Uh, mostly, it's front-end growth-based. Uh, I think most big companies would have issue with logistics and back-end because there's just so much manpower. Like, the, the, the company that bought us over there, like, oh, I see. 300 employees, easily. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but I think I think, I think <laughs> the, the worst challenge that they would face is that, oh, how to grow more sales, uh, how to maintain the sales, and how to uh, mm. have new creative angles for the campaigns and stuff like that. So, most of the consultancy, what I do is more on like scaling, uh, testing, uh, different. I mean, I mean, I mean, marketing is all about testing and scaling, right? So yeah, these these two things mainly. Yeah, and also uh, advisory on their their creative team on uh, certain assets and marketing directions. Yeah. You mentioned your founder also said sorry, so, listen, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was I was curious like uh, so uh, when you. Is the is the advisory to other e-commerce brands like, uh, originated from uh you have being still an advisor to Heaven Lux or is it the other way around like is it a natural transition I think it's pretty smooth right like founder uh, 
so the company will become advisor and yes, they slowly continue advising case, other companies. Yes. Uh, sorry, your question was, uh, was it a small transition in terms of from selling away to become their advisor, or you mean to be advisor for other brands? Oh, like uh, whether it was a, uh, it happened at the same time. So as you become an advisor for Heaven Lux, then you, then you, it worked right. Like you're advising them, you find you're like, okay, this is, I'm, I'm enjoying this, so might as well just. Uh, transition to advise other e-commerce uh, companies as yes well. Yes and no. Like, it wasn't something that I planned in a sense from the start. I wanted to just really jump to building a brand. But uh, you know, building a brand, of course, you need time in terms of like, you know, winning for stock and stuff like that. So uh, when we sell away, uh, it was natural for, of course, them to engage us as an advisor because they wanted to like, make sure everything is sustainable, maintaining well. Then for the client part, it was just more of like, it wasn't something I planned. Uh, so I, I think I mentioned that you start off like uh, friends who are DTC owners, they came to me and asked, Oh, how do you do it? And just have a coffee. Then they ask like, oh, okay, can you repeat? Like, can you literally copy paste whatever you work for have lots for my business? <laughs> yeah, like, literally like that. That's what that's what people come to me for. Like, okay, just copy paste everything. Like, uh, in terms of the like, A to Z. Yeah, just like, uh, okay, sure. I mean, uh, yeah, just name me any price. Yeah, like, uh, okay, sure. Maybe I could maybe I try coding this, coding that, and then. Uh, yeah, I realize that uh, DTC owners that are really you know, let's say they're doing like fifty k, hundred k a month is they are very willing to pay to to uh, to be unstuck from their position. I think because a lot of them they are just very stuck. They don't know what to do because yep. their sales uh, are from marketplace. So to them it's like, wow, from ads itself can like six figure months. Then it's like, to them it's a like, I can literally double my business if I do everything correctly because I already got all the system in place. So today it's like a no-brainer investment from their perspective. Uh, now I think back. So that is why they, yep. they, they just want it for a practitioner rather than for a guru, right? Because like, uh, there's, there's so many like so-called e-commerce gurus out there, uh, which most of them teach dropshipping, that teach how to, you know, find product. Oh, you can scale to seven figure months, but uh, they realize that it's not very contextualized for their business because DTC brand works totally very different as we know it. Then uh, I was that guy that basically, that they believe that, you know, you started from scratch, sold the business already, and I did really sell the business. We're not like a fluffy kind of thing. And then they realized that, oh, okay, whatever that uh, you did works and it could potentially work for a business. So then, uh, yeah, it just came on become like for one client, become five clients, ten clients, and stuff like that. Then, uh, but I'm still doing this on a like, part-time basis. I'm not like full-time basis. Mm. It's just more like uh, if I really see a good fit with the founder that I'm working with, then why not? You mentioned that the your when the acquisition offer came, right? Your partner actually didn't. Uh, your partner wanted to sell, but then you were like, okay, actually, this there's a lot of runway here. So like, why why did he feel that way? And yeah, uh, I think for my I think for myself was that uh, I felt that the business was still young and uh, it's very profitable. It was indeed very profitable. So like, uh, I felt that we could have been valued. <laughs> Sorry, cough. Sorry, valued better in terms of the uh, selling price. And I felt that uh, I wanted to enter the US market actually after like that phase. Mm-hmm. At, that, at that point of time, we were getting acquired, but we decided to pause all the plans. Uh, it was actually the seventh month, not the ninth month. Uh, seventh month, we, we got approached, then I was like, oh, okay, we have to pause everything. Uh, all the plans we wanted to do, future plans wise, then mm-hmm. uh, yeah, then we kind of like uh, stopped there. But yeah, so I didn't want to sell because I believe okay. the potential could be 10 times, 100 times bigger. Uh, in yep. terms of where we actually built the brand to it, because we already have so much assets and uh, UGC up, so it's very easy for us to scale it. 
uh, then from my partner perspective is that I think because he uh, is a digital nomad lifestyle and being a digital nomad lifestyle means mm. that he wanted to be uh, able to travel around the world and stuff like that uh, whereas for uh, so 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 to, to if you were to continue scaling up this e-commerce brand right of course physically they have to be like bow because he was in charge of backend logistics fulfillment and stuff like that so uh, I think he kind of just decided that okay I just want to take the money and party yeah, then travel around the world <laughs> and maybe yeah, yeah. like uh, go into crypto investing and stuff like that which he did uh, at this point of time so yeah I mean we, we kind of like uh, we, we we didn't we separated ways on a very good note in that sense because uh, I'm happy for yeah. him in terms of what he want and that, that for me there wasn't anything to like try to force to say okay you should like stop and continue this with me because I don't think he'd be happy with it so then I just thought like okay I mean uh, it was a good learning experience for both of us. We got what we wanted, uh, in terms of the buyout and stuff like that. So yeah, we just life move on. <laughs> yeah, mm, got it. That, that's the uh, like when they engage you as a consultant, right? Do they does Rocket Internet pay you as a monthly retainer? Are you like an employee now? Uh, or like uh, like how does that structure go? I won't say like an employee, but we are paid like employee in the sense we have the monthly retainer, like in the sense. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, mm. so yeah, so it's just advisory uh, like Zoom calls and then just advisory and uh yeah, just most of the time it's just ask me anything style kind of thing. In terms of uh, the working okay. relationship then. So it, it's not very sh- it's not employee why I didn't say it's employee because it's not like I have to fulfill certain KPIs or I have to be there for monthly daily meetings and stuff like that. So it's just more like a off power kind of consultant and then a weekly call kind of thing. Okay, and and the team that is still running that operation, right? Are they based in Singapore as well? Because uh, I know they are German, right? If I'm not wrong. Yes, they are Singapore. Yeah, so every country they kind of have their own division. So, yeah, for for this case, they okay. have an entire big, big ass office in Singapore with current employees. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. For the supplier side, right? I just wanted to know because when you scale, I'm pretty sure you need to reduce COGS, right? Like, how how do you negotiate the supplier based on that and um. Uh oh, okay, good question. Yeah, so I think for us was uh okay, so we didn't want to affect the working relationship with our current supplier, right? But of course at the same time we also kept a lookout for other suppliers and we told our existing mm. supplier very honestly, as we really thought that uh, you know, uh now that we are scaling out and we have we are going to like hit we are projecting to hit certain numbers, so we have to like kind of sell the vision to them. And then like uh we 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 would like to ask for a lower costing in terms of this and that. And then we also like to ask for more like a, a variations of design and stuff like that. Then uh, of course, you know, uh, having dealt with us for a period of time, they know that we have the capability to do so in terms of we already have proof that we can clear the stock in the X period of time and they are impressed and stuff like that. So they're willing to compromise more in that sense, I guess. Uh, but you know, mm. uh, to be honest, China suppliers sometimes can't trust fully one because they they might just. Uh, yeah. So so for our case, what we found was that uh, while they give us a lower cost, but what also what we also mm. found was that they actually went to like competitors literally and said that okay, uh, we can replicate the whole packaging and what we did for Heaven Lux for you, and then we after we found we huh? were like a bit. Wow, <laughs> it's not very betrayed, but uh, but then again, nothing wrong because business is just business, right? To them, it's all we are just producing bullshits, and then we just yeah. realize that oh, you know, dealing with Chinese suppliers have to be a bit careful because uh, you won't want to review too much of things that you shouldn't review to them. 
Because uh, worst case scenario, I know of like factories that started another e-commerce store themselves just to like try to override you. Yeah, yeah. try. Ah, uh, try lah, try lah, but they always fail lah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course uh, they don't ask you. <laughs> but like, how does the... You mean they go, they you put in order, then they go into other suppliers. And then what do they tell? Like, yeah, they literally go to like... Like how they does... They literally yeah. go to like existing competitors to say that, oh, we are the supply for Havelux and we can... Yeah. We can kind of do the same for you too in terms of the exact product, the exact packaging, and on the on the side yeah. note also, we will use as a case study for new brands that wanted to start a bidding brand, and I'd say that oh, okay, we can review to you how Havenox did it, and this is the okay. product, and of course they sell higher price to them, but ah uh, okay, yeah, thinking back now. Yeah, but but it's a bit stupid, right? It's like the you know you were the second fiddle, and then. On the ad side, your your brand equity is there, so people are searching for you. Then even if you sell at a lower price, you can't. Like, if you buy up all the ad space, it literally doesn't matter. Yeah, but so they're just gonna like correct, correct. Yeah. But they are the supplier, man. They do they do understand marketing, so to them it's like, oh, I just sell as much space as I can to as many different people, and yeah, that's business to them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think okay. they'll think so much in terms of like, uh, oh, if I sell to more people, I will kill my own market and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. SPC, I think okay. they work. Got it. Got it. Uh, so mentioned earlier, your you guys keep the yeah. stock in Singapore, right? So it's not really dropshipping in the sense it's a it's a D two C brand. So the distribution doesn't work this way. So you buy okay, you get the stuff from the from the manufacturers, ship over to Singapore. You guys store it here, and then you just uh sell through your online channels. Uh, mainly on uh, on maybe through like Facebook or your socials, and then uh, to either Singapore and Malaysia. But I'm just curious, like, would you consider like um, you know, some brands like Huga kind of stuff? Uh, yes, I'm, are... I'm not sure if you've heard of the brand Huga. They they have like retail uh, stores. You then uh, your brand fits very. I think bitch is will do very well uh, in the retail actually. Yeah, because even though retail is like very expensive and high operating cost, right? But uh actually we did have a retail now at Brother Singapore, so we do have one. Uh yeah, I I think I think oh. I think if I had a choice I mean I mean of course you had the cash flow and back then in terms of expansion would definitely open a retail brand because that's cost is also fun to do so. <laughs> yeah. And uh, lucky or not, like, there will always be that pool of customers that want so, to uh, oh, tangibly touch up a sheet. We don't 99% of them didn't do so, but that 1% can justify the mm. monthly ex- operating cost for the opening that one retail store. Yeah. So, uh, speaking about, earlier you mentioned the brand Prism, right? Then interestingly, a uh, few days ago, I was at Harbor, uh, sorry, at Vivo City walking. Then I saw uh, Prism Plus actually opening up a physical outlet. Uh, for a brand like theirs, right? Do you think it's because of how much, how competitive the uh, ad space is? Like, it's just getting too expensive and the, the return on ad spend isn't there, which is why they go into uh, opening up a retail store. Or is it because you think uh, it's also like what you mentioned earlier, like maybe people want to see and feel the thing and then maybe some just another distribution channel or is it because they really have no choice uh, they need to try out something to new? be honest from what i know you from feel like your opinion their ads are really doing very well so i don't think that it's because the ads were dying i mean in that context mm. but i think they were just trying to re-diversify because they're just so much funds probably cash flow and then uh opening a retail store mm. 
does I think I mean in my opinion it does brings a high perceived value of the product for any ETC brand because now you are telling the market and consumers that we are legit right because we are not just like a marketplace brand or like we are just a even like brand that emerged out of nowhere we are the legit retail brand and I think I think I think I think I think it's also more confident in terms of backend logistic uh, like you want to do an exchanges you want to do any like uh, you want to left live test the product you don't have to go to our warehouse or our office or whatever but you can do it at the retail store yeah I think it was for the purpose that I believe mm. Uh, sorry, circling back to the acquisition, right? So, when Rocket Internet reached out to you guys, uh, in terms of in for an uh potential offer to acquire the company, do they during the negotiation, right? They try to pitch you guys some, uh, value creation strategy, like what they want to do with the brand, and then uh, as you as advisor on board, like maybe you could help value uh, what they expect. Disappointingly, they, like, pitch they you a, pitch you a strategy because they, I think they believe, <laughs> I think they believe they have the capability. <laughs> to do the brand well and expand the brand well uh, so I guess they didn't they, I think they believe that perhaps they, they think they know better in e-commerce than us so they kind of didn't mm. but uh, the truth is mm. after we sold the brand to them uh, how the advisory came I mean there was a initial advisory like handover stage right so after then they just say okay bye bye mm. uh, now 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 you exit really, mm. like we can't like, we get what we want we get what we want <laughs> So it's like a good, good, good relationship breakup, right? And then after like three months, six months down the road, they said approach me again. They say, uh, hey, can you help? Can you come back and help a lot? Then I was like, oh, okay, what? Then I, I, I didn't know what's happening because I don't have the backend figures, right? And then what I found was that the sales yeah. dropped by like, yeah, more than half. <laughs> compared, Jesus. yeah, compared, and then <laughs> they had half, to, wow. like fire like seven or eight employees for that. And then that's why I realized that oh shit, well, shit is real. Yeah, I think because. I think because they are just so used to the whole, like, uh, uh, I mean, I mean, brands like that, I mean, companies like that, they just want to acquire like 100,000 brands and they just want to like have 10 brands that work out. Mm. So to them, is that's how their game works, right? In terms of that. So I think for us, yeah. we were just like another diversified portfolio. And then they were kind of trying to like say, okay, let's hire a few employees to manage the brand and just sustain it. But what they don't realize is that if you don't grow, you will just die eventually. And if yep. you're gonna use the same old strategy, then then good luck with that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So the brand really, yeah, really like took a, took a dive like, in terms of the sales. Then uh, they were desperate and they just say, okay, why not just hire you back? And then you just so that I have to come back and help manage the yeah. brand, a brand that's pure and so Yeah. So it's quite funny like, in that sense. Yeah. It was a joke that I was joke with the internal team. Yeah. Uh, sorry, now moving on to the to the your advisory work for your, your friends, uh, e-com brands, for example, right? So I'd like to because I'm not a marketing guy, I'm really interested like to understand like, how you approach marketing e-commerce stores in general. Like uh, you mentioned like testings early on earlier on. So do you do a lot of like A/B testing? Uh, what are some some of the different strategies that you will use for okay. testing to find whether it works? Then, uh, uh, putting aside backend, yeah. uh, like all the logistic customer support, which are, I would just put it as uh, more tedious, but the more easier parts because you just kind of like need manpower to do that, right? But uh, there, are, there are three things that I believe uh, that uh, that you, I feel, I feel that any DTC owner have to like kind of like, I won't say master because it's such a big word, right? Uh, but have to be good at so that at least they can get things going. So the first thing is uh, definitely uh, sales messaging. 
for for any product out there. So they have to firstly really understand that you know any product you cannot market a product as it is. If not, you just become you just become a commodity, or you become like any product like in the market out there. You have to come up with a polarizing sales message to go against the market, to kind of hijack the market. Because the the beauty the beauty the most beautiful thing about what DTC brand can do is that they can disrupt the traditional market. So all you have to do is just find an angle that can disrupt the traditional angle, the retail angle, the, or what the what this product is really doing well in a lot of retail stores. Then you just kind of like disrupt it, and that's why I see a lot of DTC brands they did those that did well are doing this way. So it's kind of like the disrupt angle never goes wrong. So you have to be good at that in terms of uh, selling a product as a solution rather than a product. Uh, second thing is of course you have to be really good at like uh conversion stuff. So like conversion stuff includes things like uh other than upsells, downsells, your AOV, your lifetime value. You have to be really good at fixing that. Uh, you also have to be you also you also have to be good at creating good UGC content. And UGC content to me is a very important element of any DTC brand because uh. It's the only way to build so much social proof online that consumers don't have to meet you personally, physically, to trust you enough to buy from you. Because it's a very powerful way of third-party social proof that we know it never goes wrong with, like you know, even present by secret they're doing like intensively for that reason. Uh, and then the last thing is to be really, really, really very good at uh, traffic. Uh, just like what dropshippers have, but uh, in the DTC aspect in terms of the traffic. Yeah. So uh, I think for us it's just really we place a lot of emphasis on this tree. Uh, so we constantly come in better offers, we constantly uh, split test better conversion metrics, and we split test uh, better traffic strategies. Yeah, so to us, it's just everyday improving better in this tree aspect, testing, uh, you know, just continuous keep testing, then uh, you will see the, you, you'll find something that works, and then you kind of just, uh, you know, 10x on it in terms of, uh, scaling on it uh, or, or I mean yeah, budget be air budget or whatsoever. And then yeah, just 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 from there and just you it's a it's a rinse and repeat model in, in, in the context. Uh. Yeah. Not so much on uh, tactical stuff like uh uh you know uh or increase the price by two dollar, decrease by two dollar then test. Because that doesn't to me solve the root issue. Of course if to me is if your offer is good, your marketing sales message is good uh product good or not nobody will know right because only if the consumer buy a product they'll know your quality or product is good so how do you convince someone that haven't bought a product or especially they don't know your brand that your product has a very high perceived value in terms of to their perspective because it can solve their problems it can uh it can be a much better solution than what they currently already have or better in the market out there yeah so if we really good at that then uh if you can get that right then uh the rest conversion stuff and traffic stuff is kind of like just marketing languages or marketing perspective to improve the metrics lah, like better ROAS, better click-through rate, better conversion rate. Mm. Yeah, so everything kind of works hand in hand, but yeah, have to be good at everything, that's what I say. Um, this is, this, this principles, right, I think applies for uh, all platforms, right, regardless of all platforms, yeah, but uh, is it is that true? And then, um, uh, also, with the whole Facebook thing currently happening now, uh, does this principle? If I take these principles right, and just put them to Facebook, right? It, can it still uh, work? Probably yes. can, right? But yeah, so for us, we are still scaling thoughts. definitely heavily on Facebook as well. So uh, likewise, do a lot of clients that I see. Yeah, that Facebook is. I mean, Facebook is something that, yeah, it gets more challenging and attribution issues and like uh, people are tired and all that stuff. But we also know that uh, it can be you know easily solved with like softwares like Tyros. 
or like you know morphine and stuff like that so so tools to if you better so to me it's like if you got problem then you just kind of like just you know that it's an industry problem because everyone's facing it then if other competitors out there are still doing it well let's say on facebook ads that means that it means it's workable you just have to understand how they do it reverse engineer it and do it for yourself to me just as simple as that lah. so there's nothing to uh, you know, speculate too much or think too much about so about course it's good to always diversify lah. like go to youtube google tiktok and stuff like that and fundamentally uh, strategy wise it's the same lah. it's just different language for that platform and how to do how to communicate to the audience within that platform better yeah that's all Okay. Yeah, last question before I go on to the your coaching yeah. side of things, right? Um, the rocket internet, right? When they uh, exit to you, obviously you do have vested a lot, a lot of vested interest in it now. But when they take over, right? What is the purpose of their acquisition? Are they trying to like five x that thing and then sell uh, it yes. themselves? Like how do they yeah, think so about? So I think about, to them, their yeah. model is quite straightforward. They just want to buy a brand that is have very high potential growth. Uh, buy early. Uh, hundred mm-hmm. percent exit them so that they own the whole business fully. Then ten exit and sell the distance yep. away. I think that I think that was their objective, clearly from the start. Yeah. Okay. Can okay. So tell us more about the uh, helping entrepreneurs or other people start e-com businesses now, right? Um, how how do you help people slash, uh, yeah, basically, like who who should be your customer and who should be reaching out to you? So I help two kinds of uh, uh so-called clients. Uh, so the first type being of course existing DTC owners. So I help them to get well at the three things I mentioned earlier, which is to create better offers, better conversion, and better traffic. Yeah, these three things are what is what determines the bloodline for a business style for for DC brand. So to me, as I get, I come over as a consultant to get them better on that. I personalize for it, uh, basically to understand their product, their market. Uh, partly because I have prior knowledge in a lot of uh, different markets industry, so they help me a lot. And this is what I do for DC owners to uh, basically. I also come up with uh, also I also have my own blueprint that I created. Uh, like a whole for, whole set of formula, step by step checklist to make sure that everything you must have so that it goes well. You know, it's a very systematic approach. So uh, it kind of just like it's a breakdown from what worked previously for Havelux and a lot of other clients. Then constantly refining the blueprint, then just applying for different businesses. So that's for DTC owners. Then on the side, uh, also to help out like people who are completely new or best part they are extra trippers they understand the potential e-commerce but they just are so sick and tired of the whole dropshipping emotional right and the whole pms right or rather they already give up because it doesn't work for them anymore but they just come and try out e-commerce and they believe it can still work so they want to go the dtc route and that's where i come into play then uh teach them how to go the a to z route in terms of all the way from product research all the way to scaling Okay, so uh, when people come to you, right, how does, uh, do you normally have, like, uh, I'm pretty sure you go through an info product or something, right? And then there's, I would say, I think coaching and guidance from you. How does that deliverable uh, be delivered? Uh, basically? So basically, I do not have, uh, like, a tool or software book whatsoever. Now, I may have in the future, but as of now, uh, what I do simply is just jump on a call with uh, whoever that is. Then to really understand them, they understand me mm. better. Then just see if you are good fit for each other. Then if you are good fit, then I give them an offer in terms of what I can do for them at a certain price then yeah if they're interested then they come on board if not then it's okay it's also cool yeah okay okay uh last question who's the ceo you're following or studying these uh, days i also say still josh no la. i was inspired by him and uh he's someone okay. that i i really look up to and inter- in terms of the dtc world internationally yeah, yeah. okay can so uh now feel free to plug uh your 
program and stuff. How do people reach you? Um, where should they? Which channels? Uh, stuff like that? So I uh, uh so for anyone who is keen to really kind of like just uh, like have a session with me, uh, they can do so via uh my my URL link that which I I will just post the do I post the link here or yeah okay let me just oh no we will we will okay, we'll sure, help sure. you yeah so yeah. uh you just have to go to the URL link then just put a calendar call with me then we jump on a Zoom call then uh yeah we can actually basically have a chat a quick fifteen minute chat whatsoever then we'll see if we are good fit for each other. Can. Thank you, Zinon, yeah, for thank your time. Thank you so much for your time. Is that all?